Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100. You're very welcome to Wednesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. I have some cracking guests and stories for you today, I promise you. Let's get straight to it. Next Sunday marks 100 years since hostilities ended in World War One, It was a devastating conflict with 9 million military and 7 million civilians losing their lives. Ireland played its part and paid a high price in terms of loss of life. Yet the supreme sacrifice and those who survived and returned wasn't exactly a badge of honour for decades in the new state, the Republic of Ireland. Historian Sean Collins joins us to reflect on the ending of the war and the Irish. Sean, you're very welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much, much for joining me. Would you context this for listeners? At the end of the war, 100 years next Sunday, but the beginning, this Ireland we live in today, was part of the islands here, wasn't it? Well, indeed. Well, if you think of the Ireland of the time in 1918, it was part of uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, the new 26-county estate, estate hadn't been established. Uh, Ireland was still under British rule. And the men returning from war returned to a changed Ireland. They returned to an Ireland where there had been a rebellion in 1916, although a dismal failure uh, for the insurgents and the rebels. The government reaction to the rebellion in that they executed uh, a number of people who participated, they interned about 3,500 young people, most of them which hadn't participated. This very heavy-handed approach turned public opinion. And by 1918, uh, in line with the end of the war, we had the general election of that year when the new Sinn Féin party took all the seats. They effectively took uh, 78% of the seats in Ireland and decided they weren't going to London anymore to participate in a parliament. They were going to have a parliament of their own. And on Doyle was established in Dublin. The men returning from the war uh, where many of them uh, would never return and had made the supreme sacrifice upwards on 37,000 were killed. Uh, the National Monument or Memorial says there were 49,700. But I suppose when you take into account the amount of Irish people from England who died and from America that died, it would 
bring that figure. But recent studies have shown effectively about 37,000 people from the island of Ireland died. But the ones that returned, and when you remember, over the period of the war, upwards on 300,000 men enlisted. Um, the ones that didn't return and, and paid with their lives, um, but the ones that did return were seen as traitors. Uh, they wore the British uniform. They went in support of the New Ireland. So effectively, they were cheated by history mm. because history had made the changes. Uh, the world was changing. Ireland was changing. So these men returned to an Ireland where many of them weren't really welcome and they weren't really wanted. And so you find that in greater parts of Ireland, uh, participation in the Great War wasn't spoken of. It was expunged nearly from history, Absolutely wasn't it? Wiped from, wiped from the record in many ways. And that lasted for decades. Indeed. Uh, when you look at our own town, um, in 1925, a, a cenotaph was erected to commemorate the people who had died in the Great War from Drogheda and the area. Uh, there are 370 names on the cenotaph, uh, it's not alone Drogheda, it's Drogheda and the environs because you have people like Francis Ledwidge from Slane and Samuel Emerson from Cullen, the, the, the general area. And also there would have been people lived in the town, possibly not from the town, and would record uh, a member of their family who had died. But it was right across the board. Every little street and town was affected. Uh, in Loud and Mead, uh, upwards on about 6,000 men in total enlisted. Um, about uh, five to 600 men were killed from Mead, about seven to 800 from Loud. Uh, all this work has been researched by people like Donald Hall and Noel French and documented. And it makes for interesting, if sad, reading. Because in every little street, if you think of a big town uh, like Drogheda, with 370 names on the cenotaph. Uh, in Casabellingham, 34 people died, 10 from Clotherhead, uh, 100 from Navan, another 100 from Trim. And, you know, they're largely forgotten, but the great revival in remembering the war that has emerged over the last few years um, is, I suppose, making everybody look back again and see what happened in Ireland in 1918. Can why I ask were the you, men yeah, why were they, and I'm coming to that, that cenotaph that went up in the 20s there, is that the same one that's in Drogheda today at the bottom oh, of Mary uh, Street, absolutely. in the same place? They, they and, and Sean, this is the question. You said that, you know, that their memory was expunged from history. Was there resistance to that? Oh, there would have been, in, in, in the sense that um, when you look at the cenotaph in Drogheda, there was a, a national programme where they wanted to erect cenotaphs in every major town to commemorate the men from that town. As is always the case with things like this, some people took it up, some people didn't. In Drogheda they did, and uh, it was uh, funded and supported locally, and uh, people were invited to submit a name uh, of someone who had been killed, a, 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 a victim or a, a someone who had given their life there, and that's how all the names were put in place. Uh, they had a large ceremony in 1925 in November uh, where it was opened or unveiled by the Earl of Fingal, and upwards on 400 veterans attended uh, the actual unveiling, along with the townspeople and marching bands. Uh, not the first big display uh, by veterans in Drogheda, but that that was the key. It was part of a national programme. Mm. But in the town itself, you know, it, it largely when the men died out, uh, the practice of remembering them 
died out. So actually and it faded. It started with gusto, absolutely. but over the years, and wasn't there, is it fair to say, about 30 years went by and there was nothing, there was nothing ever happened at that cenotaph? Well, I think mainly because of the troubles, the outbreak of yes. the modern troubles in yeah. Northern Ireland. From 1969 on, there was no service held. Now you, I have to say, and I want to mention this today, you were the man responsible for reviving the commemoration ceremony. Well, that's true. In 1999, I was approached by Michael, the Reverend Michael Graham from St. Peter's, and he put it to me that the cenotaph should be revived, uh, the notion of a ceremony not being held. Uh, we were well into the process of, uh, into the peace process at that stage. And, you know, I went down to look at the cenotaph, uh, and the thing that amazed me was I could identify the streets the men came from because I knew the names, and the names of the town hadn't changed. You know, names like... Um, uh, Smith and O'Brien and real popular Drogheda names that are still in the town and as I said I could even tell you the streets they came from even though the addresses weren't there and it really struck me that it was sad that so many young men were dead, buried, far away forgotten about. We have a number of um, small uh, a number of single graves and different graveyards in the town and in its vicinity but when you think of the number of over 300 being all buried so far away and probably never uh, had the opportunity for their families to visit to visit the graves i remember when i was 16 um, i met a man called paddy floody and paddy told me that when he was born his father had already been killed at the sound and uh, his mother was pregnant on him uh, when he was killed and uh, when his father was killed and he showed me way back then which I think was about 1973 or 4 he showed me a photograph of the headstone out in the sandway it's just outside Yeeper and uh, I visited the same grave uh, myself some years later uh, of Daniel Floody, Paddy's father and uh, you know to think of those families who were never able to travel never able to see where the loved ones were were uh, buried, and that's why I felt it was important to revive the cenotaph. Were you nervous at that time with the situation well, in I Ireland? Was, I was very fortunate. I had great support from Paul Murphy, who was then the editor of the Drought Independent, and he was very positive about the idea. Uh, I had a few negative approaches. I was attacked once or twice on the street. It's funny the attitudes of some people out there. I was verbally abused on a number of occasions, but. I don't really care. I felt it was important to do. It's now part of the mayoral calendar. It happens every year. It happened last Saturday. And I think it's it's a good event all round that the men should be remembered. Now, what about honours post the war? Because I did visit. You brought me to, was it St Mary's Cemetery? Yes, There's a Victoria Cross. There's somebody buried there. They got the VC, yes. Well, no, no. no? They're, they're not buried in town, but we had two VCs. Okay, who were they? We had two VCs. One was drummer William Kenny. Uh, Kenny's father uh, came from Bolton Glass in County Wicklow. Uh, he was a member of the 69th Regiment and they were stationed here at Drogheda in Millmount and uh, he met a young lady named Dullahan and they got married and then he was sent off to the wars in, in the late uh, 1800s in India and places like that uh, and that's where Kenny was born. And Kenny in 1898 uh, Kenny Sr. retired uh, from the army and Kenny Jr. joined up and in 1914 at the Battle of Mons in the very opening of the war he was awarded the VC for bravery 
And in March of 1915, Drogheda was delighted to claim their son, Kenny, even though he had never been here <laughs> at that stage. <laughs> and they made, him a, they made him a free man of Drogheda they, to yeah. great heroic accolades. And there's a wonderful newspaper clip uh, page showing him in George's Square and all the guild banners and all the groups and the national volunteers and the mayor all gathering around Kenny to celebrate this uh, hero. Uh, with Drogheda connections, even though he had, he had never been the place before, uh, but he he had his mother was a native of. The did he town. survive the war? He did indeed. A very interesting character, Kenny. He survived until 1935, uh, when he died from heart disease. Uh, he worked as like as many of these military men did. He was a doorman at a bank in London. But for his heroic exploits, uh, the story goes that uh, while under heavy fire and caught in a foxhole. Uh, and it was lashing rain as well, I should point out, because the weather had something to do with it. But he carried five men, one at a time, across no man's land to get them out of the foxhole and bring them to safety. And then, having got the five guys out, he realised that they were very short on equipment. So we went back again and carried out four Maxim machine guns, one at a time. So altogether, he ran across no man's land nine times under heavy fire and it lashed and rain. And he survived. So, and he survived. And he was an incredibly brave man. And he had a very interesting military career because unusually, uh, he wasn't, he was a veteran. In 1914, when he received the uh, VC, he already had nine decorations mm. from other service. Uh, interestingly, he had a Belfast medal of 1912, which was awarded for rioting in Belfast. But you'll be relieved to hear, Jerry, it was Belfast in South Africa. Okay, not up the road. <laughs> Let's head to a road. short break. We're remembering the end of World War One, and it'll be commemorated extensively this weekend, the 11th of November. And we're, I'm in conversation this afternoon with historian Sean Collins. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100. Sean, I just have a message from a listener saying, don't forget, Jerry, 307 men from Dundalk were forgotten as well. You know, uh, Dundalk contributed hugely. Yeah, no cenotaph there. No, no, there's none in it. But is that figure, that figure that a listener That'd says, right, that, would that be would yeah. that be on the nail for yeah, numbers? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's what that listener is saying there. They've forgotten those men. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, so there is no there is no memorial in Dundalk yeah. to the men. I can say we're fortunate that we do have memorials. Yes, haven't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Sean Collins is with me on late lunch today, and we're talking about uh, World War One and the end of it. Let's come back to Samuel Emerson and the Victoria Cross. Uh, Emerson was. A native of Cullen. Um, his family lived there, and in 1917, as a young second lieutenant, he was killed at the Battle of Yeap, the Second Battle of Yeap, mm. having defended his men in a large offensive when all the officers were killed. He held on uh, to keep his men safe until relief came. And they say that when the relief came, uh, his men had noticed that all the time um, blood was trickling from the back of his hat. And when the relief finally came, he just lay down on the ground and died, and the, the back of his head nearly came away. So he was a very brave man. He was awarded posthumously. His mother was presented uh, with the VC at the Whitwood Hall in Drogheda after the war. Uh, his niece, Peggy, 
was a very active citizen of this town through the 70s, 80s and 90s. Everybody would remember Peggy. She was a wonderful lady. Uh, She lived up at St. Peter's. And Peggy told me that when we revived the cenotaph, that while everybody knew her as Peggy, uh, she was actually baptised Victoria Christina, so that when she would sign her name, she would always sign V.C. Emerson, in memory of her uncle. Isn't that So it's an interesting story. A lovely little vignette, yes. He was remembered in that way, because when you look at our own town cenotaph, at least we have one. Mm. Uh, Dundalk. Over 300 men from the yes, north of the county yeah. died. Forgotten. No yeah. cenotaph there. Mm. Uh, many other towns have the same thing. Yes. And it's only in the, the recent past. Castle Bellingham, obviously because of the influences of the Cairns family, have a memorial there. So many of the Cairns family were, were killed in the Great War. So they are remembered in that way. Mm. But I think we're lucky to have a cenotaph, and I'm so glad that it still happens every year. Let me ask you about the poppy, because this is in the news again. James McLean being the focus, the footballer, and actually uh, Matic, the uh, Manchester United footballer, didn't wear. They all have this on their jerseys now in these big games. This is a new thing altogether, but he didn't wear it either. And what about the poppy? And tell me, Sean, when did the poppy come into existence? Well, the, the notion of the poppy was, of course, that in the aftermath of the war, uh, in, when the battlefields were abandoned and all the guns had stopped and uh, time passed on, poppies came up across the ground where many, many men were buried and, and unfound. And, and I'm sure there are still there, and although they have done a marvellous job in endeavouring uh, to find all the remains. But poppies covered the ground, and somebody suggested that the poppy would be a good memorial uh, to remember the men who were killed in the Great War. Uh, the British Legion uh, are the people most responsible for providing the poppy. Now, the British Legion is an organisation uh, to as well as remember, support veterans of all wars, of all armies that participate, all British armies that participated in various conflicts. And remember at the time, the Irish men were fighting in a British uniform, as we mentioned the conflict already. So the Irish were remembered as much as the English because they were in the British army. Now, the anomaly... Uh, that arises and this is trying to set it in context and not take anybody's side and I can very well understand the view of the soccer player not being prepared to wear the poppy at the end of the day the poppy is a fundraiser Uh, the monies uh, subscribed or donated in return for poppies are used to support veterans and that's all veterans of all British armies and wars so there could be for instance, paratroopers that served in Derry and were involved in the horror of Bloody Sunday, where innocent people were murdered on the street by armed soldiers. It took uh, 50 years nearly to, to prove that it was the case. And uh, Cameron, in his time as Prime Minister, apologised, acknowledged that last uh, that murder of innocence. But veterans of that regiment could benefit from the funds raised by the poppy. And I think that's where people have a problem. Have the issue. Yeah, it does. So what's the solution? I don't know what the solution is, but I had a very good debate on television on uh, Monday night past, and a man suggested that we need a badge, we need something to remember the Irishmen killed in the Great War. What he proposed was a round tower, and perhaps one of the finest memorials to those killed in the Great War is the round tower at Messines, which was unveiled by uh, Mary McAleese and the Queen. 
and uh, it was instituted by Paddy Hart, former Fine Gael TD from Donegal, and a number of other activists in Ireland in the 1990s. I remember we brought Paddy here to Drogheda in 1994 to talk about the idea, and it was eventually unveiled, and it was something that fell very much in line with the whole peace process. So I thought that idea uh, on Monday night was very good, a very good idea. But I would say at the end of the day, I believe everybody has the right to decide. If people want to wear the poppy, that's their prerogative mm. and they're entitled to do that. In the same way as some people would find, say, the Easter Lily, uh, which commemorates the men of 1916, but then other people would find that offensive to wear because in some ways it has been uh, uh, hijacked by militant republicanism. Mm. But everybody has a right to wear whatever, Make the call whatever, whatever way. they want to do. But that, that's what the issue is. Mm. Just before we finish, is. when you take Louth and Meath and uh, the numbers you mentioned there across both counties that gave of their lives and those who served as well, but the ones who lost their lives. I remember you mentioning this to me before, and I just want to bring it up before we finish. No country for young men, you know that saying? <laughs> you know, the, the sadness of that, if you just take Drada, just as a figure... Um, the vast majority, I would say upwards on 90% or maybe even 95% of the names on the cenotaph were men aged between 17 and 21. So you were taking away the youth, effectively. You were taking away 370 boyfriends, partners, prospective husbands. And, you know, multiply that then by every town in Ireland. And you think of all the young women who were left without boyfriends and partners and all that. And, like, the last victim of the war uh, was a, a man from Drogheda, uh, he was the last victim from this area, who died on the 10th of November. Uh, his name was Mullen. He came from Green Lanes. He left a widow and five children. And, sadly, he died from flu. And so the war, as well as people being shot, there were lots of. It was other a massive issues. epidemic after that. Absolutely. Perhaps that was preempting what they would refer to as the Spanish flu, where more people were killed as a result of the Spanish flu than all the victims of the First mm. World War. Mm. But that notion of young people being gone and women being left. Mm. Uh, that's what always stands out for me. We remember them all today from Louth and Meath and all over and we think of them and uh, the day is Sunday the 11th of November at, uh, when the war came to an end. You have someone just to mention quickly before I'd we go. I'd just like to mention and say hello to uh, Chris Winston and Abby in the Lord Hospital who looked after me very well this morning and they told me they'd be tuning in. He's a veteran of care in the hospital, Sean Collins. Anyway, as usual, Sean, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for joining us to remember those who lost their lives and fought in World War One. Thanks for having me, Jerry. The late, the late lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Reno Dealer of the Year and most Google reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. Oh four one nine eight three double one double zero. My next guest on today's show was fostered as a baby. He was in the orphanage in Drogheda, St. Vincent's. Many people would know it on Fair Street from he was four years of age until 10. Then he went on to Artane until he was 16. A tough station in anyone's book. Paddy Keegan's been through a lot in his life. And today, years later, he's talking about his experiences. And I'm delighted to say he's with me on late lunch this afternoon. Paddy, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining me today. Where were you born? I, I was I was born in Sean Ross Abbey in, in County Tipperary, 
uh, on on the 16th of March 1948. That's the place where Philomena was, was based, based, that based movie, on, wasn't yeah, it? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you were born there? There, yeah, yeah. And your mum, who was your mum? Where was she from? M- my mother was from, from, uh, from Emo. Uh, Moret in Emo. It's a small part of, of County Leash, outside Port Leash. And that, but she uh, worked on on the farm there too. The 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 family had a farm, right? So she was a, on a family farm, farm and part of that family, pa- part of that family. And she was expecting a baby. The, I, I, when she when 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 uh, uh, three months when she was expecting expecting me, she was transferred uh, to uh, Sean Ross Abbey to work there until she had the baby. Was that, that, that was, was that, in 1947? Yeah, was was that a, like something that the family felt she had to go away because she was expecting? It, it, she it, wasn't married, was she? No, no. Okay, it's just the way the way things were at them times, mm. and that you know, mm. and that uh, I've only found out afterwards then that she had uh, uh, their two children, so she was punished. I don't know if it's the word "punished" is the right word, but she was punished in regards that uh, with a second child that she was put away until she had the baby, but. She always wanted to go home afterwards and take me home, mm. but she wasn't allowed. Where was that other baby, the other child you're talking about? He, he was he was born in 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 the uh, Hollow Street in in Dublin. Yeah. When when he was born, he was taken from her and that as a baby, and he was placed in uh, with a family in a workhouse in Ratrum. And uh, as he was growing up along, then he uh, was more or less, uh, when he reached an age that he could do some work, he was rented out uh, from the workhouse. Uh, this is uh, words from himself. He told me in regards how hard he had. I, d- I was taught I had it hard. But when I heard his story, I was in kindergarten compared to what he what had. he went through, yeah, and I know ultimately he ended up in Australia, and he is your brother. He was yeah. seventeen years older than you, yeah. so your mum, I think, just looking at the age, had him when she was twenty, and then you were born when she was thirty-seven. Seven, yeah. That's right. So the seventeen years yeah, between you. Yeah. But I want to tell listeners, you didn't know of his existence no, at no, all, and no. we'll come to that in a moment. Let's come back to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. You were with your mum for a few weeks, and then you were fostered by a lady. I I was with my mother till till uh, uh, July. I, 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 I was born in March, and I I I stayed with her till up to July, and that most of the babies that were born in Sean Ross at the tab at that time went to America. Okay, and I, 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 I as far as the the nun said to me that my mother wanted to keep me, and I wasn't. But I heard afterwards that I wasn't well in 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 myself as a baby, and I. Uh, just uh, wasn't picked in regards for for adoption. Go. Yeah, but this woman, uh, Mrs. O'Sullivan, fostered you. Then I was placed. I was placed in St. Joseph's uh, 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 when my mother was discharged from Sean Ross Abbey, and then she went up to Dublin to, to the Magdalen Laundry on Gloucester Street, which is the uh, building that's standing there now in Sean McDermott Street now at the moment. Uh, she, she was there for 10 years. Until she died. Until she died. She died at 47. 47, A yeah. young woman. She yeah, got TB, yeah. was it? She contracted TB. TB and pneumonia. 
But again, you didn't know no, any of this until I years later. I wasn't far away from her when she died, but I never knew that she was even in there. Yes. I was in Artane at the time when she died. Oh, my word. And and that's only roughly about two miles down the road from 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 uh, uh, where the laundry where she Did was. Did that annoy you when you that, thought you know, about that? When I think of things afterwards and that, you know, I, I like that... Uh, that the nuns, uh, I don't know if they didn't know or they didn't w- w- even go to bother and that. But her her family always thought that they'd done a good thing, that they took her from the laundry and buried her in the family plot down in Emo. OK, so and she was laid to rest, rest there. Now, yeah. you were fostered by this Mrs O'Sullivan and yeah. you spent four your first four, four years, years until there. you were four with her. Yeah. So you wouldn't have any memories of that time, no, really? No, no. I, I remember towards the end of it, I remember being in a big room, like it was uh, like a courtroom or something like that. And then I was transferred from there then to Drogheda. St. Vincent's. St. Vincent's. The Sisters of, Sisters of Charity on Fair Street. Fair Street. Yeah. So you went there when you were four and you stayed there till you were 10 years 10 of age. 10 years of age. What was St. Vincent's like to be an orphan it, in a place it, like that? It was lonely, if you know, you know what I mean, because uh, you... Uh, there was different classes of boys and girls there, but you didn't. Uh, the girls were in a separate section, and that the boys then were in another section in in Fair Street, mm. and it, uh, you went to school. Uh, it in there, but then the day those day pupils that came in. I was a day pupil they, in that school. That's good. The, the day pupils came in there, mm. and that you know, but. Uh, uh, I met another man uh, only the, uh, the other day, today actually, and Jerry Murray, and he t- told me that he, he was there, and he's a, a good reporter now. Mm. But uh, it, it, like it's it, he he. he Give me flashbacks in regards different things that I forgot about, you know. Was it and tough? It was tough. It, you see, you didn't know anything else and uh, you just went along with it, you know, and that. It, it was tough in regards that uh, you'd nobody... You had nobody you could get in touch with or do, you know. There were certain boys and they had mothers and they came on and off to them. I remember one time Mrs O'Sullivan came the whole way up from uh, Riverstown and Boar uh, to see me in Drogheda. And I felt happy because I didn't know who she was, but I, I knew then I have a mother because I knew her and didn't realise that she was uh, like uh, that she fostered me yes and that but I she brought me a box of lemon sweets and at that time they were they, they were they, the goal in regards but uh, the nuns had used to give me uh, I used to go to a little room and give me a few sweets each day in regards until they were gone. Mm. But it was a tough life. You didn't tough. have many luxuries. No, no. You say yourself, you felt like nobody's Nobody, child. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, when I hear that song all the time, I always feel an awful lot for it, you know. I, I mm. just, it's... <coughs> excuse me. It, it, it has a, a meaning when you went through something like that, you know. Yes. Yes. That, you know, so. But you you came through, and the nuns came through were tough at times, yeah, yeah. and you know they tried to give you an education. You were dis- <coughs> you were dyslexic, yeah, weren't yeah. you? I I I was never a good reader, and that, and I couldn't. I had nearly have to spell a word before I try and make out what it was, mm. and they couldn't understand it. But that time. They, they they didn't realise that people were like that, you know. Yes, and and, and, and you, you you suffered a lot for that. They couldn't <coughs> understand what was up with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean at, at that time. Um, 
you had to leave St. Uh, Vincent's, was it, when you were 10 years of age? When I was 10, you see, they, uh, they move you on to... I could have been sent to Dangle, I could have been sent to Letterfrack or whatever, whatever where, whatever place had places for mm. you and that you, you would have been sent. Yes. And you've no choice in the matter. Yes. That, you know, so... I, yeah. Take a little drink of that water there. You have a little tickle in your throat. I realise that. Take a sup of that there and get yourself composed and we'll talk about that. You could have gone to other places, but you went to Drogheda Railway Station Station. and next stop was was Artane. Yeah, yeah. You were there from 10 years of age till you were 16. 16. Was that awful? That was was bad. That was really, really tough. And that, you know, I mean, if you take going into a gate then where there's about 800 boys that you know what you're not talking about it's a small I I, I, I was sorry when I left Drogheda because as much as I didn't like Drogheda I I got to <coughs> treat it like a family yes and that you know I got to know the nuns better and got to know but you you, you had to leave was our chain brutal cruel <coughs> cruel all that yeah, type yeah, of thing yeah, yeah. Memories. You, I, do you think about it, or do you try to put it out of your mind? I try to put it out of my mind. I walked in the. I. I. I because I couldn't uh, learn in school again because of my problem. I got a job. I was working for a while on the farm, and then uh, one of the brothers that worked in the infirmary uh, saw me, and he saw that <coughs> I wasn't well, and he said you should come down to the infirmary and I, I went down to the infirmary and, and uh, I got a job there then uh, looking after uh, boys that wouldn't be well and all like that and I was doing all the menial jobs that had to be done like making the beds and mm. cleaning the floor and doing all that sort of thing but I got to like it You are more content there? Yeah And yeah. you were able to see your time, time through in our time there with I him wasn't, I wasn't involved then with the big school Yes I was down in the infirmary and, and, and that uh, suited, suited yeah. me and that. Want to head to a short break. Paddy Keegan's telling us his story on Late Lunch this afternoon. We'll be back in a moment. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Paddy Keegan's with me on late lunch this afternoon and he spent most of his formative years in care in St. Vincent's in Drogheda and then on to Dublin as we've been hearing Artane afterwards. Now when you left Artane you went back to Mrs O'Sullivan and did a bit of farming there and got a few pounds together and you came back to Dublin then Paddy yeah. but uh, you, you were in a bit of bother in no time. The money went didn't it? Oh the money went and uh, are they, uh, like, I mean it doesn't last you long when you have no you have, you have no help from anybody you know no, I, mm. I I didn't real I didn't I wouldn't say I didn't realize, but I could have gone back uh, to Artane and said that I'm in a problem and all like that. But I I just didn't want to. I I felt I had enough there, and yes. I I just try and fend for myself. You wanted to go your own, own way. way. Now you got a break. PV Doyle, a famous yeah. name, a hotelier in Irish hospitality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you got to know him. Yeah, yeah. I I I I was I was begging on the streets uh, for a while in in uh, in Dublin on the bridge even on O'Connell Street. I stayed in York House. I stayed in the Ivy House, and that uh, it was only a half a crown uh, at the time uh, for to stay for the night. And then you had to get up in the morning and fend for yourself. And then and uh, then 
do do what you what you were going to do. But I met one day uh, the lads there uh, that was working in the hotel as uh, in the kitchen porter and that, and uh, he told me that there's there's still a bit of work in the likes of the Montrose or any of them if you go out and that. Then I was told that uh, the one or two of the other hotels uh, you you get work without any problem and that. But I I went out as far as uh, the uh, Falls Bridge to uh, uh, the, the, the the hotel there the, uh, Intercontinental. Yes, and I couldn't get a job there because I had no address and that. I my address was Artane as far as I was concerned and that but if you would you mention that name as far as they were concerned you were in there because you were either stealing or something they didn't realize that there was such a thing as orphans in 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 there and that you know but uh, I tried a few places and I couldn't and then eventually I went out to Montrose and I got a job out there start but I was told then at the time when I got a job that there's another new hotel opening uh, out on the Nace Road the Green Isle Hotel and if I was interested I could go out there and that you know so I decided then to go out there and try and that but uh, I I went on then and uh, you did really well I I got a job as a kitchen porter, but I done fairly well in regards uh, there and that, you know. You I worked your way up. I worked my way up and eventually then in 72, and I, I mean, they, this was in, in 64, 65. Yeah. But in 72, they were opening the Borlington Hotel and I got a chance of a uh, uh, head banqueting porter in the Borlington and that. But it was good money. Yes. But I'm not alone that then. I got an apartment on Leeson Street, beside the hotel, uh, to stay there. So you had, had an address. Yeah, yeah. You and had that. a job. Yeah. And Mr Doyle really liked you. I oh, know yeah, this, he yeah, did. Yeah, you you yeah. struck it off with, yeah, the, with yeah, the main yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So you're molten now. Your yeah, life yeah, is yeah, starting yeah, to move yeah, along. Yeah, You get married, and I want to tell listeners, you have five daughters at yeah, this stage, yeah. and 16 grandchildren, which yeah, is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you then moved from the hotel business, because I know you taxied for a number of years, didn't you then? Yeah. I, 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 when I, uh, like, I liked in the hotel business and all of that, but I didn't, I didn't have a problem, but uh, there was, there was, if, if, if at times they were uh, getting rid of when they're doing up the bedrooms mm. and that they be I had permission of Mr Doyle to get uh, bits and pieces and that for my own house or whatever yes. and that and I I done that but I afterwards when he died yeah. I didn't go in favour with who took over okay. and they took that I was stealing instead of Ah, yes. Well, so he... I got an ultimatum either to resign or yes. Yeah. yes. So I resigned, but when I resigned, I got into the taxi. A good friend of mine had a taxi, and yes. I got to rent the taxi on the nights and do the night shift. And I stayed at that for nearly twenty years, and was very good. Yeah. But in inside of all that time and all of that, I got married, and uh, when when I got married and all of that. Uh, I decided to go on a honeymoon. I I never knew 
exactly where I was baptised. But when I was getting married, you had to get your baptism in Lyons. So I got my baptism in Lyons. And then I- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Saw then that I was baptised in Sean Ross Abbey and then I was I was on the line then to follow uh, the part of the story through to find out at that stage, stage. and we'll come back to this yeah. who your mother was yeah. where she came from yeah. so you went back there and you mentioned the honeymoon where did you go on honeymoon? I went down to Killarney okay yeah. and was and it on the way back, back from that? From, coming back from Killarney you went I into the abbey to go into the abbey and you and met I, this nun? I met this nun Sister Sarto or that you know but I she she uh, uh, more or less uh, gave me an address they were my mother was from in in uh, in in emo in Moret in emo and uh, I in torn on the way back from there I decided to call that way in but when I called in I wouldn't say I wasn't welcome but they didn't want to give me any more information mm. than what they gave what the nun uh, gave me and said that my mother was uh, training to be a nun and she uh, was in there and that you know yeah but so her family yeah that you had you did trace her family yeah 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 said to you that actually this woman was away to Wait, be a nun. nun yeah did they know about you they they knew about me but they didn't want to admit they knew about me and that they thought that i was down there to look for something part of the farm or something like that which you were i i I was only looking for roots to try yeah. and find out who I am or what, you know, where I came from. And it took them a while then to uh, to to win me over and give me information. But they did. They did eventually. Eventually. They saw your bona fides, Fide. that you weren't yeah, there yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you found out who your mother, mother was. Mother was, yeah. Now, the story of your brother. Yeah. Let's come back to that one. Yeah. He's 17 years older than yeah. you. You knew nothing of him. I knew nothing. How did you find out about him? Did that? Did the family tell you about no, him? No, no. The family knew about him, but they never told me. But it was... Uh, I went down 
uh, to where my mother was buried and when I went down there was another person buried in but it ended up it was a sister of my mother's and I knew nothing about her she worked on the farm as doing everything from making the tea to anything mm. up to the time she died in the 90s Okay, and that but uh, when I, I, I wanted to find out a little more about her so I went on over to the priest's house in Emo and uh, asked him could he fill me in so he says I have a little story to tell you before I fill you in regards it he says a good many years ago he says another man came in here and sitting where you were sitting in this parlour and told it told me about your mother and all of that and then I was able to explain but he says if you could find him he's your brother you have a brother that you don't know anything about and he says he even looks like you. Did you fall off the chair? I couldn't believe it. I I just, I got a shiver in me. I just couldn't believe it that, you know. Suddenly you yeah, had yeah. a sibling. Yeah, yeah. He was not near Emo or Ireland. No, no. He was in Australia. Australia, yeah. How did you find him? My daughter, Anna, uh, well, she was great on the phone. And she put it on the uh, some line that's connecting with Australia. Okay. And that it's something like Google, but yes. it's the same thing. And it's it, where people in Australia want to get their family history, they can go on this line. And she put on a little story in regards for John to pick up, and John would pick it up in regards once he heard Moret emo and all like that on it. So it was on the line uh, over there for nearly two and a half to three years, and that. And uh, out of the blue, didn't I get a phone call from Australia after that length of time? And it was uh, John. But the, the coincident part of that is across the road from where John lived in Australia was another man with the same name, Keegan. And his name was Con Keegan. And he was doing family history for people in Australia. Uh, and that, that was like his sideline and doing over there. And he found this note when he was going through it to do on the online it. system yeah. and put the fellow across the, across road, the road, your brother, yeah. in touch with you. Yeah, you met up. He came, he came to Ireland. He came to Ireland. Yeah. What was it like when you met him? Oh, it was just like heaven opening up and that. And I'm looking know. at the picture. You are yeah. very alike. Yeah. You have a picture here he, beside he, me of both. He, he uh, stayed with me for nearly six months uh, in in my house in Johnstown in, in Navin. Uh, in Navin. And that, you know, and then uh, uh, eventually I went over. Uh, you went to there, him. did you? Yeah, yeah. He passed away. He passed away. How long that. ago? It'd be, uh, it'd be roughly two two years ago. Two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you had time with him. I had time. And him time with you I had as time well. over there with him and then he time over here and that. But we lost a lot of time that if he would have known when he came over in 72... Uh, if he would have known then that she had another son mm. and that uh, he would have been able to uh, get in touch and that and do that, you mm. know. But he he had letters that I, the same type of letters that I had from the nuns and that, and he showed me them and all of that. And I said, the same name is there that on letters that I had there. Why didn't she tell you mm. that there was another? Had he family in Australia? He has. He I I felt great when I went to Australia that there was people calling me Uncle Paddy. I was never <laughs> never called Uncle Paddy before. You know, it was 
Today at the moment, even only yesterday, I had a phone call from Mary one day, one of his daughters, and uh, then also from a few, few on and off, because they picked up some of the story that I'm after doing. Oh my God. And they, they were delighted that I mentioned mm. uh, John. Can I say something? You're a great one. Yeah. You really are. You've come yeah. through an awful lot. Yeah. What a remarkable life story yeah, you yeah, have. Yeah. And you're hale and hearty. And yeah. I know doing a bit of work still in the Castle, Castle Arch, Arch Hotel. Hotel. I want to yeah. say hello to all the people there today. Yeah. Listen, Paddy, I have to leave it there for the moment. Thank you for coming in to me on Late Lunch. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed our yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah. And I wish you well. Thanks for the very future. much. Thanks a million. Thanks again. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Paddy Keegan, what a story that was. And I do want to acknowledge Anne Casey from the Mead Chronicle who brought that story to print a couple of weeks ago. Well done to you, Anne. And I'm delighted to meet him myself here on Late Lunch this afternoon. Now, from one great one to another, because my next guest was All-Ireland Pool Champion in 2012. He's a master of the bays. When I tell you who he is, you have to look at these YouTube videos and just understand how brilliant this man is. Besides his prowess uh, on the Bays. He has an amazing life story as well. I'm delighted to welcome to Late Lunch this afternoon, Sean Huey. Sean, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Jerry, for having me. And uh, I just want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for giving me the opportunity to come here and speak with you today. You are very welcome. And I'm going to come back to that in a few moments. Now, tell me a little bit about you. I, I, here am I thinking, so this fellow must have been uh, on a pool or a snooker table since he was in nappies. But you tell me GAA was your first love, yes. Yeah, it was my first love. You know, I started playing very young and uh, pool didn't come into two to probably it was 10 or 11 but 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 football my, my dream was to, uh, to to play for Arma and to tug out for the at the Ulster Championship first round and unfortunately it dislocated my left shoulder about six weeks before the game so I was gone no way <laughs> that dream was so you shattered. were that close were you yeah yeah I, I, I was I, I loved the game it was my dream that, see, that was my main dream from when I was 10 years of age to, to walk out and Ulster final or sorry first round of the Ulster Championship and unfortunately it wasn't meant to be but it's okay it's good <laughs> and who did you play from the club scene who was we your were club? Cullihanna Cullihanna yeah. uh, football club St Pat's Cullihanna yes. was, was our club yeah okay so that was your first love and dream and that didn't happen so when did you start playing you started pool first wasn't yeah, it yeah so I suppose my, my dad uh, he, he liked to have a drink with his, his brothers and, and uh, so my dad would bring me along and we, we'd go from pub to pub but a lot of pubs didn't have pool tables so I was always coming in running around looking for the table as soon as I seen one that was it just throwing the balls up and down it was just all I wanted to do and it was so exciting just to see what was going on and I think that just started my love for the game and you showed prowess pretty quickly you became very talented and skilled at this game yeah, well, I suppose, I suppose probably not because I was probably in my, it was 2004, four, yeah, 2004 and I won my first tournament mm. and I wasn't expected to win, uh, win the tournament and uh, I actually had a dream the week before the tournament that I was going to win it and I arrived and it just played out basically exactly what happened and I, and I beat a former world number one in the final. So that was the start of a, a blazing run of success, which took you ultimately to be All Ireland Pool Champion in 2012. Was that the pinnacle yeah. here at home for you? Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah, that's that's still that's the best tournament I've I've ever won, and and, and it probably will be the best tournament I've uh, that I'll ever win. 
Now, you played the eight-ball pool, which is the yep. one that everybody's familiar with here in this country. What's yes. the difference between that and the American pool? Okay, so American pool is played on nine-foot tables. It's got bigger balls, bigger pockets, and I think it's probably the toughest game that I've ever played. Really? Really tough, yeah. It's controlling the cue ball. It's People think the pocket is big. It doesn't get much respect in the UK and Ireland, but all I can say is... It doesn't matter how good a cue is to are, go and try that game and, and it will it will it'll break you. And how have you fared at that? Do you feel you've mastered it as well? No, I I've I've played two years. I studied for two years with uh, probably one of the greatest players that ever lived. He's a five time world champion, Earl the Pearl Strickland. So I spent a lot of time at Earl and sort of learning off him and being on the road with Earl for four years, uh, maybe three weeks a year or so, listening to him and, 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 and learning stuff off him and watching him how he works the cue ball and how he spins the cue ball. And uh, that plays a big part in some of the stuff I do online. It's it's how you hit the cue ball. Now, snooker is probably the, the, the most prominent game in this part of the world. You know, it had been yes. television-wise, even though it went down a bit, but it's coming back again. Yes. Have you played snooker in your time? Yes, of course. It, Much of it? Yeah, uh, not much in tournaments, but yeah. three, four. When I was a kid, when I got my my dream was to have a snooker table as well. I just want to have a snooker table, and I suppose that's where the left hand comes into it, because when I dislocated my shoulder playing playing football, I was in a waiting list for an operation. I then I got the operation, and during the recovery period, I actually got a snooker table installed, but I couldn't play on it because my arm was in a sling. Right. So. Instead, so I have my dream, it's sitting there, but I can't play in it. So after about a two, two weeks, I could move my elbow down, move from the elbow down, so I could put my right hand on the table, and that's when I started teaching myself to play left-handed. Because you're naturally right-handed, yes. you play right-handed. Yes, I'm right-handed, yes. Okay, that's your main cueing arm. So yes. during that accident, another coincidence, exactly, it yes. forced you to start doing a bit with the leaning hand or the leaning arm yes, so to well, speak if I wanted to play which I did yeah. uh, uh, I needed to do this so I probably played 3-4 hours a day for I'd say 8 weeks until I was fully recovered where I could play it right handed again but I learned so much amazing. I couldn't even make a bridge with my hand I couldn't even yeah. do anything but you keep doing something for a long period of time and you will begin to get good at it so you had practice on the left and that brings us right to today because you yeah. have set yourself a major challenge that yeah. you want to talk about today with me and we're going to talk about it now. Yeah. You want to do a maximum break on a snooker table, one four seven, using your non-playing <laughs> hand and arm. Yeah, well that's the challenge. Now have you ever done a one four seven? you know, with the right one? A month ago, I would have said no. Uh this was always in my head to hit a 147 break. I contacted a guy about three weeks ago and he had four 147s and I said, Anto, I want to make a 147 break. Is there any secrets to doing this? So he kind of told me what I already knew. Uh, had my mind made up. I went on the base and inside a week I hit a 147. With your right with, hand? With my right hand. And then I had another two. So I had three in the last probably two weeks. And then this got me thinking would it be possible I hadn't played left hand in about 15 years but I know if I train hard I can do something with it so I said to myself the guy had just died a morning on the, str- on, the on the park bench and that affected me and the I was homeless think, yes the yeah, homeless yeah. guy mm. it died a morning I played snooker for morning for a few years so it got me thinking and I, I'm strong in my faith and I was sort of praying to the Lord and I said is there anything that we can do is there anything that I can do and immediately I got this into my head but it would be a serious challenge and a lot, it would just be, it would be 30 years of experience and a lot of hard work. Uh, 
So over the past, probably a week later, it was just so, it was on my heart going to bed at night. I was thinking so much about it. I couldn't sleep about it. And, and I said, Lord, if this is of you, you know, we'll do it. So it was at a Friday night and I had decided that if it was of the Lord, if it was the right thing to do and we could raise some money, I would make a video on a Saturday morning. So I was about 15 minutes away from making the video and I said, God, I, 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 I don't think I can do this. I don't think that I can do this. I'll try my best, but I don't think I can do this. But if you're with me, then I got a chance. So all I felt was just pure positivity. And I lifted the video and I made the tape. And I posted it online about 15 minutes later. So that was it. I, I couldn't turn back. And this is this. Was it the 147 you posted? Or no. was it these tricks? No, that- this, what I posted was... Uh, a campaign to raise money for the homeless. This okay, nothing to do with playing. This was what had come to you. You said you thought about this guy who'd lost his life. Yes. You thought about what you could do with this. So you posted to say, I am going to raise funds. And I'm going to raise the funds. I am going to attempt the left with the left-handed 147. So... <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me, I, 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 I'm, I'm just looking at you thinking, you are one mighty man. So, right, you'd never done it up to that with your right hand. Now you've had three 147s with the right so far. Yes. Now you're training yourself to do it with the hand that's, you know, never done this. A bit of practice when you had the accident years ago. When are you going to do this? What, I, have I, you set a day? I have started already. I started on the day of the tape. So as soon as I posted the tape, uh, 30 minutes later, I was on the table. So basically, it's been 15 years from my from my played left-handed. So I had to obviously the first two three hours was 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 just getting my timing, and then started getting into a bit of rhythm. Fourth fifth hour, I started getting confident, started making 60, 70 breaks. Uh, but the next day now, I was so sore on my side, I couldn't lift my right arm. Mm. Uh, it was so painful. So I had to go back to my right hand and kind of switch it around. But basically, at the minute, I'm doing four or five hours a day. Left-handed. How close have you got? Have very, you gone very close? Have you gone over the hundred? Yes, I, I, I've missed a fifteen black three times last week. Oh my God! You fourteen blacks, fourteen reds. I had yeah, I had uh, fifteen reds and fourteen blacks three times last oh week. Oh my God! And but, and it stopped at that stage. The yeah, break. So now, when there's a time limit on this, when are you going to do this? I I told the people in the video that if I. Uh, and all I'm going to do is promise them is my best. And uh, December 1st, I will post the video on December, my best video on December 1st. Which you expect to be a 147. Which I expect to be a 147. Sean Huey's with me on Late Lunch. We're going to hear more about this and how you can support this wonderful man in what he's doing. And Wayne here to the other side of his life as well. Stay with us on Late Lunch. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Sean Huey's with me on Late Lunch this afternoon. On the 1st of December, this man is going to make a 147 maximum break with his left hand, which is the arm and hand he does not play uh, snooker or pool with normally. If people want to support you, and I want to tell people this, this is the thing about this guy. He's getting nothing out of this. All funds go directly to Focus Ireland, and Focus Ireland are a wonderful charity helping people who are homeless. What's the easiest way people can give you a bit of backing? The easiest way would be to go onto my Facebook page at Sean Tsunami Hui Skill Shots. At the top of the page is a pin post, and you can just click the link 
and the money goes directly to Focus Ireland. It literally takes less than two minutes to do it. It's so easy. And I will rep- reply to everybody individually and to thank them for the sponsor. So, it's, so I want to say again, it's Sean Tsunami Hui Skill Shots. And just for people out there, he, he pronounces it Hui. If he was in Drada, we'd say Hoi. Other people would say Hoi. But it is the colloquial pronunciation from where you come. H-O-E-Y. Yeah. So Sean Tsunami H-O-E-Y Skill Shots on Facebook. Click the link and you donate directly to, to Focus Ireland. Ireland. Correct, yes. And this man is assures me he is going to do this by the 1st of December. Well, I'll try my best. <laughs> no pressure, Sean. You've mentioned God several times at the very start of our interview and again now. So I take it you have a deep faith. Has that faith always been there? No, I drifted. When I was a kid, my granny would come to the house and we would be down praying a rosary each evening. And uh, But as life went on and I got into the drinking scene and the party scene, I, I, I did drift away. And it was probably seven years ago now that I came back to my faith and... Uh, it's it's great to say that I did. Now this drifting, he, 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 he just—it's uh, like putting a ball into the uh, into the pocket in the snooker table out of the pool table. You just put it in there and went over. And I yeah. have to pull him back and put that ball back on the table because here's the story: you met the love of your life, Sandra, uh, when you were teenagers. She was what age? She was fourteen, and you were fifteen. And you married? Yes, we got married in two thousand. And you have had at that stage in, in the first part of this love story three children. Yes, correct. Alcoholism came between you, her, the children and everything. She left you? Yes, everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what alcohol does, it, it takes everything. You lost your home? Yes, we lost our home in, uh, we lost our home in 2014, Christmas 2013. At Christmas time, the bank came, uh, we had our Christmas tree up and they, they arrived and they took everything. And were you in the depths of alcoholism at that stage? No, I was out. I had my wife and my kids back and unfortunately our business went into decline with the crash and, and, and the alcoholism. What's your business? Uh, we own Sweet Dreams Handmade Irish Beds. Oh yes, okay. So you, this is what brings in the, the bobs as well yes. to keep the show on yes, the road. of course, yes. So between the crash and, and you... Look at this alcoholism. Did you drink? Going back, I asked you about your faith. What about drinking? Did you drink from where you were a young? Fellow? No, I didn't take my first drink until I was nearly nineteen years of age. My dad liked to drink, and uh, I know he's listening now. And 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 I sort of I sort of made a promise to my mum that I that I wouldn't take a drink. And I went to New York in nineteen ninety six, and I was only there the second day, and I, I and I took my first drink, and I kind of from the first drink I was hooked. I I sort of had an idea then. That I was probably going to Did you feel you had an addiction? Yes. uh, Well, probably not for the first probably six or eight months, but I knew then I I, I was kind of drinking too much, you know. Yes. And and who, uh, you know, know, let me think about this. When did you know that you had that problem? How long did it take for you to say, if you only started at 19, what age were you when you said, I am an alcoholic? In 2005, I knew myself I was an alcoholic. What age were you then? Uh, What's that? Many years ago, is that the kind of quick? Yeah. Well, Thirteen you, years ago, I yeah. was twenty, twenty-eight, twenty-eight years of age. I knew I was an alcoholic at twenty-eight. And were you just drinking every day? Not really. I go on binges, so I drink for maybe two weeks uh, at a time, and then it would take me probably two, three months to kind of break. I could break for six months or or even a year, not drink, and then it would just all happen. It was just just would happen over and over again, just just like that. What woke you up to this and stopped the whole thing? Uh. I ended up in Medjugorje in, 
in 2011. I was in Medjugorje in 2005, secretly as an alcoholic, told nobody. And then I thought my, my it would finish then, but I actually think I drank more when I came back from Medjugorje. But uh, in 2011, when I was on my knees, I, I literally co- I, I could not beat this. I, I couldn't beat it on my own. I just couldn't do it. And I ended up in Medjugorje, and that's when my life changed. From that point on? Yes, from that week in Medjugorje. I was, I was probably near death going to Medjugorje, and I came back. I had some hope because I had no hope going. But you were off to drink when Sandra left you with the three children. No, I was still drinking. You were still drinking at that stage. Yes, yes, yes. Now, she was only away for a short time. Oh, yeah, but it was this tough love. You know, sometimes you got to leave, you got to, you got to go walk. A couple of months she went away. Yes, yes. And you were apart. Yes. That waking you up as well? Yeah, it will. When you wake up, I think for about two months, I, I, I just I, I, I came out of the house one night and, and it was around three o'clock in the morning. I remember it was a very starry night and I remember looking up and it sort of hit me then, you know, what, what happened here, Sean? Where, what happened? How did it get this bad? And, you know, it was, it was crazy. But she came back to you or you went back to her? I had to go and get her back. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I had to go and get her back. And listen, did he get her back? Because he had three children when this hiatus happened and you have three more since. You've yeah, six I've got, of them six, got six kids now. They're in my life and my wife is my rock. You know, without her, nothing functions, nothing happens. Mm. You know what I mean? She, she's the rock. And you over the losing of the house. Are you back on your feet? Yes, I'm back. I'm back on my feet. Yeah, I'm back on my feet. Thanks be to God, you know. And uh, I have different priorities in life now. My, my family is number one. God's number one. My family's number two, and everything else is just a bonus after that. So it's pretty much like that. Life simple. Some transformation, isn't it? Life simple for me. It's simple, you know. Your faith is that deep. Absolutely, it's it's number one. It's number one. I remember listening to a lady one time saying to me, "In the morning time, when you wake up, don't talk to nobody until you talk to God." And that's what I do. So if I don't talk to my wife, I just go on my knees and thank God for being alive and for being here. You know, some people give me stick sometimes online about this. And I don't care. It's, that's my faith and that's what I believe in. And it's the way it is. You're a good one, and I want to remind them again. The first of December is the date. Go yes. on to Facebook, Sean Tsunami Hui H O E Y Skill Shots. Uh, top of the page, the link. Click donate to Focus Ireland, Please. and we're going to follow this with interest into the first of December. Is that okay? Yes, I'll thank be back you. to you. Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you very you. much for joining me on the show. No problem. Cheers, Sean. Bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer with over two hundred and fifty quality used cars in stock. There's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at BlackstoneMotors.ie. Put us on Late Lunch. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100. National Apprentice Weekend on LMFM Radio. We're playing our part because we're focusing on apprenticeships each day on Late Lunch today. Elma McMahon is back. She's Senior Training Advisor with Regional Skills and Training Centre and she works with apprentices from all over Loud and Meath. And she's joined today by Adele Hesnan, who is the Operations Manager of FIT. What is FIT? Fast Track into Information Technology. And it's one of the brand new apprenticeships that's been set up since 2016. Adele, Elma, you're very welcome to the show. Good Thanks to see you both. Thank Thanks you very Jerry. much for you, joining me. Elma, first to you again today. Tell us about these new apprenticeships. Okay, well, in Ireland, we have got, um, like everybody knows about the craft apprenticeships, the electricians, the motor mechanics, the carpenters and everything else like that. And that's what we were 
we're very familiar with. Now, in the rest of Europe, they have like that everything is done through apprenticeships, like the financial sector, nursing, teaching, everything really is done through the apprenticeships. Whereas in Ireland, it really would have been only the the craft Mm. apprenticeships. So then they've decided that they're going to try and change that and have a lot more apprenticeships for non-crafts. So there's things like manufacturing, engineering, commie chef, fit, auctioneering, logistics, everything like that. So that is all coming in here now in Ireland, the following mm-hmm. other models that yeah. have proven successful in other yeah, countries. and I yeah. suppose it came from things like, you know, um, the, the need not in employment education or training or trying to get people back in the workplace or they've set a target for 20,000 um, apprentices in by the year 2020 and they're hoping to be on target for that. But so many more trades or um, occupations rather are going through the apprenticeship route. Has this been a tough sell? Because, you know, when you're introducing mm-hmm. something new, non-traditional and have many people in Louthan Mead taken these up? Well, it is a hard sell because if, even if you look at something like accounting technician and that would be one of the new ones and people are so familiar that you can do accountancy in Dundalk or Sligo or Athlone or whatever else like that and you're trying to say, no, 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 you can work and people aren't familiar with the model that their 17-year-old son or daughter can work full time like for two years and come out with the same qualifications that they would do in college so it is a hard sell because people aren't used to it they're used to the whole college mod, the, 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 the way that everyone goes to college and it's a way of changing tradition and mm. changing the mindset of what people mm-hmm. think What about the pay element because that's a thing that we've talked about the yeah. last couple of days here the great benefits of an apprenticeship Absolutely. is that you're paid as you go mm-hmm. along and you're learning yeah. mm-hmm. are the rates higher in these you know newfangled apprenticeships They are and like with them like um, the rates for like say a motor mechanic or that it starts off at about 200 per week going up about 100 for every year but with the some of the new ones like the insurance technician whatever you can start off on 17 up to 23,000 or whatever else so the money is very good considering that you're learning and you've come in with yes. no qualifications so like for someone like me who'd be thinking about my children that you could go to college and spend three grand on fees and then have to pay for accommodation mm-hmm. or whatever you know, it's a no brainer really mm. but the great thing that there's no cost to an apprenticeship programme right and I guess the carrot is that you will get a foot in the door with an employer um, and you will get paid to, to, to learn so these are earn and learn models and um, that's what we call them and with the new tech apprenticeship tech apprenticeship which is the area that I'm focused in it's the very forest of its kind uh, Jerry. Uh, it's as Alma has said we would have been used to in Ireland traditional trades and so on so we introduced the, the tech apprenticeship called ICT Associate Professional back in 2015 and we ran a pilot programme from 2015 to 2017 to test it and see how it worked. Now at the time we thought we'd see whether we get buy-in from employers but I, I, I'm happy to say that we trained 250 people on the first pilot programme throughout Ireland. Um, We ran programmes in Dundalk, we ran programmes in Galway, Cork, Dublin, Monaghan uh, and the Midlands Um, and we got 159 companies to sponsor 250 candidates on those programmes which was Fantastic! What a buy-in for the first. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, as Emma said, it can be, you know, a a tough sell. But once you get momentum going and once you get... One thing I'm very proud of with the the Tech Apprenticeship is that it has educated uh, employers um, around FET, which is the further education training sector, which we we work within, which is level five and level six. Um, And, you know, there is, you know, a need for people within the areas of degrees and masters and so on. But the level five and level six are 
practical learning programs um, where people can, you know, come into to jobs and hit the ground running very practically. And that's the difference with it, that, with, with an apprenticeship program. It's a practical learning experience. We don't all learn by sitting in a lecture room with another 150 people. Some people learn by doing. I, I learn by doing. I know, know myself. So that's what the apprenticeship model is all about. Um, now, focus on what you're about and why mm-hmm. you're here today and in your role as operations manager. Sure, yeah. Tell us more about FIT. So FIT, FIT is an acronym for Fast Track to Information Technology. We're an IT training organisation. Uh, we're nearly coming on 20 years uh, in operation now. I've been with the company for 18 years myself. Um, I looked after all the operations um, around Ireland. So uh, we train over 3,500 people um, in FIT-supported courses, all tech-related courses um, around Ireland in collaboration with ETBs, Education and Training Boards. Um, uh, and as I said back in 2015 we have a very strong board of directors in FIT we are an industry initiative that's how I would describe FIT and what, what I mean by that Jerry, is that we have a strong industry board that sits behind us so that would comprise a company such as SAP Microsoft Accenture Deloitte um, IBM some of the major companies big sit the board. hitters big hitters very much so but they're very much part of um, FIT and the heart of FIT um, they're very involved in what we do they uh they would talk to us about where the skills gaps are within their companies, where the needs are. And that in turn would assist us in talking to ETBs, our ETB partners around what IBM needs, for example, um, as, as an organisation, what what Microsoft are needing, and how can we develop programmes in consultation with these uh, companies and, uh, and roll them out locally. Such, I think that is brilliant because mm-hmm. it's hand and glove. You are matching Absolutely. rather than producing reams of apprentices in an area that... That there's only a limited demand for. Sure. So that is really encouraging and heart- heartening to hear that. What if I'm sitting at home today and thinking, okay, let me get my head around this. What will I qualify as? Examples of what the apprenticeship, what will you have at the end of it? What would you be called? Where can you go with this? Sure. So at the moment, we have two streams in the tech apprenticeship portfolio. We have a third one coming on stream now. So we have software developer and we have a network engineer. Okay. If you're working um, in, in the, if you're doing the software development program, you'll be, uh, you do your level five and level six qualification, your national qualification, but you do vendor certification as well, which would be coding in Java, um, C++, Python, it could be anything like that. And the network engineering, they would look at A+, CompTIA A+, CCNA, Net+, Security+. So you would work as a network engineer. Um, you could work as a as a developer or a, 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 an entry level developer, you know, a junior. So you will come yes. in. You will be coming into these organisations in a junior capacity. Now we have a variety of people that come forward for these programmes. Some people are what I would describe as the tech enthusiasts. You know, are the guys and girls who are eighteen, nineteen, twenty. You know. Um, finished school, did their leaving cert, could have done their leaving cert, um, didn't know what they wanted to do, maybe started college, dropped out for one reason or another, but they know that they can build a PC or they know they're able to code or develop websites. And then we have people who are career changers who who want to get involved in this, who have a wealth of experience behind them um, uh, in a variety of, uh, of areas and now want to get into the tech sector mm. because there's opportunity in the tech right. sector. So that's not la- age limited. I've said this, I no, keep bringing not at this all. up all the time. Not at all. It's not just for school leavers or somebody's just out. Not, not, not at all. Not at all. So the, it's it's eighteen plus. Um, we say it's a statutory apprenticeship. Yes. Um, and the statutory apprenticeship uh, means that, that that you have to be eighteen plus and leave insert or equivalent. Yeah. So if 
you know, you want to apply for this apprenticeship, you will have to sit a series of aptitude assessments uh, in FIT and you're brought through an interview stage um, before you're put forward to an employer. So FIT are responsible for recruiting our, the candidates for these programmes and we're responsible for recruiting the companies. And then we do the matching process between mm. the companies and the, the candidates. So it's a two year training programme. Two years. Two that's years. the time frame on this mm-hmm. one. Unlike the others we talked about, Elma. They're which, four years. Yes. They're four years. Yeah. So two year programme. Yeah, it's as I said, fast track. They're very fast tracked programmes. Mm-hmm. Two years mm-hmm. um, uh, training, six months in, in the, the training centre, uh, in the in the Dock training centre, for example. Uh, six months in there, intensively studying. Then for the next year and a half, you're with your company two days a week, back in college. And do you, three days. obviously with this board behind you, you mentioned the sure. opportunities are there across these companies. Absolutely. You do the placement. That we placement do. is we done. We do the placement. And yeah. what's the prospects then when you reach the end, you know, after these two years? Well, How have you found you it? You see, you're already, you're, you're, you're already working. You're working with a company. Yes. That is the beauty of being an apprenticeship. You've already got your job. Yes. So when you leave you're doing whatever the company has wanted you to do, you're hitting the ground running. Mm. Whereas opposed to someone who might be coming out of college and then have to be trained once they go in, the company has got the product that they want already. What's this third programme just you mentioned? So with, uh, the third programme is cyber security, which everyone is talking about now. Cyber security, digital that's coming. forensics. That's coming in the second quarter of next year, so which we're really excited about. Um, we do, if it, we and FIT do skills audits and we, we launched a skills audit back in the summer um, where we go out and we meet with companies face to face. We do an audit of, um, you know, what's, what, where are the skills needs and um, what uh, disciplines companies are looking at, what they want. And from the audit... That then tells us uh, what type of programmes we should be running. And one of the findings was that there's a huge need for, for people with cybersecurity skills. OK, so that is coming down the tracks yes. as well. But look, it's fantastic to think that you can give people who want to change direction mm-hmm. in life an opportunity mm-hmm. this as well. If you have the acumen for when you've left school and if you're leaving or whatever to come into this as well. Again, Elma, will you remind people, how do you, how do you, how do you get onto these programmes? Well, and, like all the information you can get on the apprenticeship.ie website, like, you know, so... And I mean, like anyone that wants to do this course are going to be able to, to find it themselves, like, you know, mm-hmm. but they can contact us in Loudmead Education and Training Board or they can contact Edel directly, like, you know, all the numbers are out there and, and get onto us. But it's about all of the courses, like, you know, like like education is training and, and education is changing and, and training is changing. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I mean, like you're talking about words there, like coding and everything. I got lost after the first minute. But <laughs> anyone who wants to do that, that's motivated and enthusiastic, this is right up their street because there is nothing that they can do. Yeah, and do you, you know the other thing? Traditionally, need. you'd think you'd have to go to college to study mm-hmm. this. Absolutely, but yeah. Here is a two-year programme, fast-tracked, apprenticeship, paid while you go along, in a company as well at the end. My God, I'm just seeing win-win-win win, win here win. all Absolutely. over the place. Absolutely. I believe it's a win-win situation for companies and for candidates. You know, I, 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 let's face it, companies are looking for, for people. Yes. There's a huge shortage in the skills audit that we recently completed. There's 12,000 vacancies in the tech sector right now as we speak, which can be filled with these programmes. So- here are opportunities ready and uh, people looking for people and the training and apprenticeships are all there. Now, the Crown Plaza, you're there tomorrow. We are indeed, myself. Tell us about this. What's happening at Crown Plaza? So the Crown Plaza tomorrow, um, we work in collaboration with uh, Dundalk uh, Training Centre and we decided we're rolling out a programme. Two programmes are rolling out uh, with the Training Centre in Dundalk, one in software development and one in network engineering, which is fantastic. So what we decided to do was, was hold a breakfast morning, a breakfast briefing where we, we'll call uh, local
local employers uh, bring them in. I think we have about 30, 35 employers that are coming to the Crown Plaza at 8.30 to 10 in the morning for a lovely breakfast and um, a discussion around the apprenticeships and opportunities locally for people. Okay, and, and that is just for employers tomorrow, is it? it is. And they're going to be there and formulating policy and strategy and opportunities for the future. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I love it. I really do. Thank you both for joining Thanks, me Sherry. on the show today. Elma McMahon, you, Senior Training Advisor with the Regional Skills and Training Centre, and Adele Hesnan, who is the Operations Manager of FIT, Fast Track into Information Technology. And we'll be back with another feature on Apprenticeship on Late Lunch tomorrow after three o'clock. Ladies, thank you very much Thanks indeed for, me, for joining thank me. You. Have a lovely Wednesday evening. Just a last message here. Jerry, you'll be delighted. Kylie's going to be wearing our gold hot pants just for you on the 3rd of December in the Three Arena. Where did you get that information? I'm ringing you after the show. See you tomorrow at half one. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie.